For those of you who don't know me, my name is Danny Russell. I am the church planting resident here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. Um, I've been attending EBF for almost eight years, um, graduated from Northwestern, and uh, am now serving as the church planting resident full-time. So I'm excited to be here, um, and I want to open our time this morning with a word of prayer. So would you pray with me? Father, we love you, but we confess that we don't love you as we ought. We love your word, but we confess that we don't love it as we ought. Through the power of your spirit, Lord, uh, convict us of our sin this morning and give us humility to receive your correction. Lord, give us hearts of repentance, hearts that desire to turn and pursue holiness. And Father, as we read this text about persecution, open our eyes to the beauty of your word and help us to treasure Christ more and more this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Second Timothy chapter 3? 2 Timothy chapter 3. And while you turn there, I, I just want to say that it's been an absolute privilege to be able to preach for the past three weeks and to preach again today. Um, I hope that you've been edified, you've been encouraged by God's word during this time. And I know that this, this time of preaching has helped me to learn and grow, and I'm so thankful for that. But we do have about 30 minutes left, so it could still go downhill. <laughs> and also, given that this is my last week, I can say pretty much anything I want. Just kidding. I'm accountable to God. Um... <laughs> This summer, uh, if you're just joining us, this summer we've been going through the book of 2 Timothy, looking at the Apostle Paul's parting words to a man who was like a son to him in Timothy. Over the past month, uh, in particular, we've been looking at this contrasting picture of two different kinds of workers. An approved worker who is only approved through the blood of Christ, and an unapproved worker and as, we look, as, as we've looked closer at the lives of both of these kinds of people, we've seen that approved workers are people who, um, wow, <laughs> people who, let me remember my own sermons, people who handle the word rightly, they are people who pursue holiness, and that they are people who avoid wolves. And this week, what we're going to see is the inevitable result of living as an approved worker before God. Persecution. Now for many of you, this is a scary proposition. This truth sounds more like a daunting warning than anything else. You know, it's persecution is something to be avoided, a, a side effect, a dangerous side effect of being a Christian. Not something, certainly, to be celebrated. And yet in Acts chapter 5, we know that the disciples rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. The disciples rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And this morning, I want to help you see that this truth, the inevitability of persecution— is not a warning to hide from, but it is a promise to hold on to. 
Approved workers will be persecuted. Approved workers will be persecuted. That's the main point I want you to walk away with this morning. And I want to look at this in two parts. First, the reality for approved workers. The reality for approved workers. And then second, the promise for approved workers. The promise for approved workers. And by the end of our time this morning, I hope that our church will be able to join the disciples in rejoicing when we are counted worthy of suffering dishonor for the name of Jesus. So let's go to God's word and read our text this morning. Um, Would you stand with me as we read God's word? We're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 10 through 13. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 13. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worst, deceiving and being deceived. You may be seated. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. Verse 12 is the reality for approved workers. You will be persecuted. Persecution is an immensely difficult topic to cover in a sermon. It looks different for different individuals and in different parts of the world. Persecution includes getting thrown in jail, being beaten and killed for your faith in Jesus. But it also involves being mocked, belittled, and ridiculed because of your faith in Jesus. And each member of this congregation has different experiences with persecution in your own life. There are some people in here who have experienced very little persecution. And there are some people in this room right now who have felt the deep sting of persecution on a very personal level. Rejection from your family, losing a close friend, multiple friends, being publicly ostracized, all because of your love for Jesus. And I know that this is intensely personal for me. I personally have felt harsh rejection for my desire to follow Jesus. Rejection that has led to many tears and much pain. And uh, having lived in a country where Christians are not allowed to openly share their faith, I've also witnessed more open persecution 
I will never forget my first experience with it. I was involved with uh, campus ministry on a college campus, and we had planned a Thanksgiving outreach that we hoped to gather a bunch of students together in the same place and broadly sow gospel seeds and proclaim the gospel. We were inviting students left and right, hoping as many as possible would come. And as soon as the school administration caught wind of it, they immediately began to target the students who were working with us, threatening punishment on the students if we mentioned God during the outreach event. Over 100 students came to our outreach. Many people of those 100 were from unreached people groups. And if we even brought up God, our friends, the believers, the students who were working with us, risked being expelled. I'll never forget the school administration bringing in video cameras to record the entire event. I'll never forget our translator telling me that she wasn't going to translate the word God if I said it. I'll never forget realizing that this wasn't just a fun outreach event for the local believers. This was putting their college education on the line, their future careers on the line, their reputation with their parents on the line, all for the name of Jesus. Now, when the Bible talks about persecution, it doesn't only mean severe forms of it. It doesn't say that persecution can only take on one form. It doesn't say who will persecute us. It doesn't say if it will be someone close to us or someone we don't know. It just says that it's inevitable. And Jesus also talked about the reality of persecution in John 15. He said, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then a couple of verses later, he says, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. As followers of Jesus, we often talk about wanting our lives to look more and more like Christ. But in your life, does that also include being willing to identify with his persecution? What fears do you have regarding persecution? What fears in your heart? And what steps of faith would you take if you didn't fear persecution? What steps of faith would you take if you didn't fear the ridicule of others? If you didn't fear the, the possibility of being a social outcast? The reality for followers of Jesus is that we will be persecuted. As we walk with Christ and we seek to live a godly life, we will face opposition and pushback. But don't lose heart, brothers and sisters. Don't lose heart. Because this, of course, is not the entire content of our passage this morning. Because with this reality of persecution comes a great promise that can be found in the life of Paul. 
The promise for approved workers is that the Lord rescues. The second point this morning is that the Lord rescues. Now let's read verses 10 and 11 again. It says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Now, Timothy is is well aware of Paul's life, both from seeing it in person, but also from hearing about it over the years. Timothy knows the journeys, the missionary journeys that Paul has been on. He knows the sermons he's preached. He knows the, the healings that he's performed. And he knows the goal that Paul has been pursuing. And though Paul's life has been filled with persecution and it might look rough on the surface, it still stands in stark contrast to the fate of the false teachers that Paul mentions in verse 13. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, evil people may see some gains on this earth, but in the end, they will go from bad to worse. There is no hope with the trajectory that they are on without Christ. As they deceive others, they will continue to be deceived themselves. And though it is a difficult reality for Christians knowing that persecution is inevitable, our fate is not the same as the false teachers. We have a firm hope. Just as the Lord rescued Paul, he will rescue us. Now I could stand up here and and tell you about Paul's life. I could tell you about each of these things, or I could show you his life. Instead of working through each individual attribute on this list, I want to look at one individual story that displays them all. So Paul, in in this passage, he specifically lists three cities in verse 11. Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. And these are all cities that Paul visited on his first missionary journey. And they are all detailed in the book of Acts, chapters 13 and 14. I strongly encourage you to read those two chapters sometime today, even. And look at the life of Paul. Look at how he responds in the face of drastic persecution. But of course, we don't have time to read two chapters. Um, So this morning, I want to look in particular at Paul's experience in Lystra, which is Timothy's hometown. So I hope that you'll follow along with me. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit from Acts 14. Acts chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can turn there on your phone. You can flip there. And first, let me set the context for what we're going to read. So Paul and Barnabas are traveling together on this missionary journey, and they have just healed a crippled man. And, And immediately, of course, this draws attention, and the crowds start gathering around them. And claiming, the crowds are claiming, that Paul and Barnabas are gods. They, they, they saw the healing and they think, these men must be God. But, but Paul and Barnabas are having none of it. And they instead proclaim truth. That the crowds need to turn to the living God. And this is where trouble starts to stir. As we pick up reading along in Acts 14 verse 19. 
But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So Paul is preaching good news to the people, and in return, the Jews travel from another city. Keep in mind that they come from another city just to stone Paul and to prevent him from talking about God. And he is beaten so badly that they believe him to be dead. Continue on in verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. So Paul was just left for dead. But that doesn't stop him from pursuing his aim in life. To be a light to the Gentiles, and to be an encouragement to other followers of Jesus. Verses 21 and 22. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. These verses in this passage in Acts 14 bring to life what Paul shares to Timothy in our passage this morning. We are able to see his teaching, his conduct, and his aim in life. How he is devoted to proclaiming the gospel wherever he goes even after getting beaten, he is moving on to preach the gospel just a day later. And we are able to see Paul's faith, his patience, his love and steadfastness in the midst of persecution. How he endures, setting his eyes on the race set before him. But even more than all of that, we can see how God rescued him. In this story particularly, he spared Paul's life. But when Paul talks about being rescued, he isn't only uh, talking about the fact of his physical survival. If we want to fully understand what Paul means when talking about the Lord rescuing him, we need to do a quick spoiler alert, so sorry. And look ahead to chapter 4 in 2 Timothy, verses 17 and 18, where Paul says in verse 17, that the Lord stood by him and strengthened him. Paul was not alone in the midst of his persecution. The Lord's rescue does not guarantee that we will always be happy, healthy, and prosperous. The Lord's rescue means that in the midst of your greatest persecution, he promises to be with you and to strengthen you. In the midst of your greatest persecution, he promises to be with you and to strengthen you. And Paul also points to an even greater rescue, saying in verse 18, that the Lord will rescue him and bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. The Lord's rescue also means that you are promised entrance into his heavenly kingdom. Paul knows that whether his persecution ends in life or in death, and we know that 
Paul's life would soon end in death because of persecution. In life or in death, the Lord will rescue him and bring him safely to heaven. And we must not forget how our rescue was secured. We must not forget that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered the most unjust persecution our world has ever seen. Though he did no wrong, he was whipped, mocked, and hung on a cross for our sins. Jesus suffered persecution on our behalf to the point of death. And though he could have rescued himself, he willingly chose not to. He chose not to be rescued so that we could be eternally rescued. Jesus chose to not be rescued so that we could be eternally rescued. And this is the sweet, sweet promise of persecution. That the Lord rescues us through his strength and through his Son. The Lord rescues us through his strength and through his Son. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will not abandon us. He will rescue us into his heavenly kingdom. Though persecution is inevitable, the Lord rescues. In in the same way that Paul encourages Timothy to remember his life, we can also remember the persecutions that Paul went through as a source of encouragement and as a source of perseverance. When we see other people experience persecution, it gives us confidence that God is working. It gives us confidence that his promises are true. And we're not limited to just looking at Paul's persecution. We can also look at God's faithfulness to other persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ as a source of encouragement, both in our congregation, the people around you, people sitting in your, your, your aisle, and around the world. As we look to the lives of others, we can be more confident that God doesn't give us an empty promise. We can see the fulfillment of his promises in the lives of others. Now, I want to end this sermon in a very different way than what we're used to. And I want to actually look at the lives of some of our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ from around the globe. And I want us all to take part in a time of corporate prayer. So here's how this is going to work. I don't want you, don't do this yet, but just listen for now. Um, I want every, everyone will get into groups of four or five people. So just kind of around you. It doesn't have to be exact. Um, the people around you. And once you get your groups formed, I'm going to read a story. And then once I, I finish reading the story, in our groups, we're all going to pray for the people who are involved in that story. And then after about, you know, maybe about, about a minute of praying, and as you are praying, I'm going to read a second story. 
and then you'll pray for those people. And I'll share three stories in total with about a minute to pray after each. And then at the end, I'll close us in prayer to finish. The stories that I'm going to share are all true. They are from a website called ICommitToPray.com, which is a resource of an organization called Voice of the Martyrs. ICommitToPray.com. If you are interested in praying for the persecuted church, I highly recommend that website. And as you hear these stories, I want you to keep in mind that these are real people, real stories, and real persecutions that are happening around the world. In fact, all of the stories that I'm going to share are things that have happened within the last month. These aren't stories from the ancient past, biographies of long time ago. These are stories of what people in the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ, are currently going through. And it will be easy to hear these stories and detach ourselves emotionally from them. But as you hear these stories, I want you to imagine yourself in their situation, to picture what it would be like, and to remember that this is real life for millions of Christians around the world. And I encourage you to pray with confidence that the reality for approved workers is persecution, but we have a sweet promise that the Lord rescues. So why don't you take a second, try not to talk if possible, just kind of group up with the people around you. Four or five people in a group. It's okay if you have two or three balcony people, sorry. You probably have to move. And as you're getting settled in, let me start re- by reading the first story, and then once I'm done reading, you guys can start praying. In Sri Lanka, a pastor, his wife, and two other Christians were assaulted recently after leaving a birthday party at the home of another Christian. Five villagers confronted the Christians, threatening and verbally abusing the pastor. When the Christians continued walking away, the attackers began throwing stones at them, injuring the pastor's wife and another female. Pray for healing of the, injured to, of the two injured women and pray that Christians will have the courage to keep meeting despite these threats.
in a Central Asian country, authorities entered a house where 10 members of a church group were staying and confiscated passports, phones, Christian literature, and DVDs. They pressured and threatened the five men and five women before detaining them. In 2009, the country's government made all unauthorized religious activity and expression illegal, and amendments enacted earlier this year have made life even harder for Christians. Pray that the Christians will be released soon and be able to continue their ministry without interference from the authorities. Pray that they will remain bold in faith and that their work will produce much fruit. In Bangladesh, 30 families turned back to Islam after facing intense community pressure, said local church planter Sujen. After being convinced Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life, Sujen began gradually sharing with others in his community. Though his parents rejected him, Sujen went on to lead all his brothers and their spouses to Christ. Over time, he baptized almost 100 families in four different villages. Last year, however, a wealthy Muslim patron hired a thug to go around intimidating the new Christians. Several lost jobs. Those who had small businesses found no one would buy from them. And eventually, a group of 30 families were taken to the mosque and asked to reconvert to Islam. And they gave in. Pray for the families who have turned back to Islam. Pray for the Holy Spirit's work in their life and community. And pray for Sujen that he will not become discouraged. Father, 
her father. The disciples left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And yet, God, we confess that we often do not rejoice in the face of persecution. At times, we withdraw from the world to avoid persecution. At times, we blend in with the world to avoid persecution. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for our cowardice and our fear. Forgive our self-reliance. Forgive our self-preservation. God, open our eyes to the work that you are doing in the world. To brothers and sisters in Christ who are bold in the face of persecution. We pray for these brothers and sisters in Christ. Hear our prayers, Lord, and intervene. Give them joy that they are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for your name. And Lord, we pray for your protection over them. And I pray for EBF too. Strengthen us, Lord, to live as people who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And write your promise on our hearts that you will rescue us. Amen.